We're getting rolling here. It's happening. Honestly, I could not be more excited. It's finally time. Finally. Because baseball, not doing it this year, Steve. Not, <laughs> not doing it. Uh, all right. Welcome in, everybody. We are back. 2019 season. I, of course, am your host, Steve Bonham, on the Important Nonsense Podcast. Joined, as always, by the Alfred the Butler to my Batman, Neil Smith. Neil, how are we doing today? I hate that comparison. We're off to a flying start already. <laughs> I absolutely hate that comparison. But we back. We back. Uh-oh. I don't like the sound of that. You cannot like it all you want. Them's the facts, Alfred. All right? Yeah, well, you know Come what? On, Alfred's the anti-hero. Look. He's- He's Look, the hero we all need. If you'd have called me Robin, I'm booking plane tickets. So at least we avoided. See, the, exactly. The end of That's the what show. I'm saying. What at did you want to poison the Ivy? End of the show. Yeah, I'm good with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Right, I was poison hoping. Ivy to my Batman, Neil Smith. So much better. I'm back in my skin tight leotard, green, of course. Looking fine. <laughs> Looking fine. Enjoy that mental image as we kick off the 2019 season. We are off to a flying start <laughs> with the nonsense. Oh, boy. Oh, oh straight fire. So, uh, yeah, we're back. New season. Plenty of stuff happened in the offseason. We, uh, we last left off in January talking about how once we got through the offseason, a lot of it would be Pittsburgh players abandoning ship. And sure enough, the main two left. Of there course, they, they re-signed Roethlisberger to a two-year extension because everybody saw that coming. I just feel bad for Mason Rudolph. Like, give the give the kid a chance. Well, the, he's look. Roethlisberger is going to get the Eli Manning treatment. We all know he's going to be allowed to walk off on his he's own. He's going to get benched uh, by Ben McAdoo and then get Ben McAdoo. Yeah, absolutely. And then right, guaranteed job good. security for the rest of his for the rest of however long he wants to play. So uh, yeah, we left off with that, and then. Building our ranks for this season, doing a lot of additions to the uh, the website. We got a lot of new content coming out this year. We're adding new people, so we're excited about that. Uh, we do have one official announcement to make, and that is that our guy, Aiden Ware, of course, uh, Fantasy Awareness, who's coming at you with the daily awareness every season, did such a great job for us last year. He will now be the head of of our daily team. So Aiden, Aiden. stepping it up. Congratulations. It up. So there you go. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited about that. And then of course, working on new content, uh, some new platforms to connect with you, the people, uh, new sponsors, potentially new shows we're talking about. So big year ahead, Neil, big year. And it's just well, the beginning. We're going to go into, we're moving into phase two, you know? And, uh, Again, shout out to Aiden. Uh, excellent work as always. We're looking forward to him uh, taking on more, and I'm glad that he was able to fit more responsibility into his already jam-packed schedule. So that's that's awesome. So we're we're really looking forward to having much more daily content. So there you go. So the daily awareness will now be running things for our whole DFS team. So we're looking forward to that. And for this episode, Neil, we are going to be talking rankings that has been the primary focus for us for about the last uh, month pretty much just diving through all these players and our confidence and projections and how we feel about them so we uh we both put in 
our entire ranks and we've got those uploaded on the website for your convenience of course and we decided we were going to go through our top 20 today independent of each other and i figured we'd be going through 23 24 players to cover both sides and sure enough the exact same 20 yep. so there you go we were there able to land somehow on the exact same 20 people now not in the same order but still the same 20 is is quite a remarkable feat uh, we've we've talked about this, and we'll talk about it every year, and we'll bring it up now. Steve and I use entirely different systems, and yet every year there's quite a bit of similarity. Take different paths to get to the exact same location. So. Yeah. Although this year, I don't know. We got some more. I went through it. We got some spice. We got some spice down there. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be entertaining. It's gonna be very entertaining coming up here. But well, one thing that we were able to agree on here as we kick off at the top is that we disagree with everyone else in the fantasy right. and that our consensus number one for the website is none other than Christian McCaffrey, a running back for the Carolina Panthers. So he is both my number one and yours. Right. So there's no discrepancy there. Obviously, RB1 and one overall. Uh, me personally, I had him at 324 points. You at about 327. So yep. we're in the same ballpark. For me personally, it's just, you know, you talked about it. What is more uh, likely to reoccur, right? What's more likely to happen? And I feel like him catching his passes is a more likely scenario than relying on the big play volume from the industry consensus number one in Saquon Barkley. Exactly. And so my a big part of my reasoning and why I have a very high confidence modifier, which is actually kind of how he clinched it, because I actually don't have him. And, you know, you'll see it in Steve's rankings, too, I'm pretty sure. He's not the high point total person, but I have so much more confidence that he will actually get you to that point total than just about anybody else, because I honestly believe that it's a dead solid lock Christian McCaffrey's catching 90 balls like just right. you can just chisel it into stone and it goes into how that team is constructed and Cam Newton and just what they're what I think the Panthers are going to do so I love it I love me some Christian McCaffrey and I agree with you you and I both came on the same number which is uh it's the 40 yard plus rushes for Saquon and yep. how repeatable is all of that so I know and you along have a lot those of same lines our number two consensus back is Alvin Kamara which is the same thing with without uh, Mark Ingram there clouding up the goal line work and uh, you can Latavius Murray all you want, but he is no Mark Ingram with him out of the picture. It really clears everything up for Kamara. The pass catching is always there for him. The volume is going to be there. If it wasn't for Christian McCaffrey's pass catching, I would have Kamara as my clear cut. Number one, we actually both have him at about 10 points higher than Christian McCaffrey. But it's just the fact, for me at least, that he's working with a more difficult schedule. And his involvement, as I said, it's just, can he stay healthy is the that's, biggest question for him. And that's, for me, really the beginning and the end of it. Because Alvin Kamara, regular listeners of this show know, is that's my guy. I mean, I love Mr. Alvin Kamara. I've been talking about him for years back before he was, you know, anywhere near being projected like this. And to your point, Latavius Murray and Mark Ingram is two different career yards per carry. Let's just say <laughs> that's very different numbers. So I love the additional, you know, upside that that should 
yield for Kamara, but it is. Going back to his time at Tennessee, there's a reason why he's never really been given a full starter's workload type of thing for seasons at a time because he's just proven that he kind of has a propensity to wear down and take a take a licking. He's not a he, he's a big guy, but he's not is that big. And uh, but also another that's another guy. You know, ninety balls. I really think that that's the it's not a lock like McCaffrey, but I really think that's on the table for Kamara. So you gotta you gotta go with it. Well, yeah, it's just his size and the amount of hits that he takes. Like when you look at McCaffrey, the dude is just beastly. Yeah, so well, he's he can take the hits. To- and deal with it, whereas uh, I'm more skeptical about Kamara, which is why yeah. we move on to our third guy here. Camaro is your two. He was my three. Uh, my number two is Ezekiel Elliott, and he falls into the category of just feed the man and let him plow through behind that strong offensive line, and that's really what pushes him over the top for me is the Cowboys' offensive line is has been good for years and is going to be good again this season. Uh, I mean, with a line rating of 14 out of a potential 16, they, they're near the top top lane, offensive line play in the league. So for me, that helps him a lot. He's got a good schedule against weak run defenses, and we know that he's going to be a focal point of that offense as he is every year. No, I completely 100% on board with everything you said. Durability, not my concern. For Zeke, not at all. Uh, the only reason I have Zeke one spot lower, if you really want my thing, is I have his pr- him projected a little bit lower than Kamara. Uh, it's the pass catching, and it's not like it's a huge gap, but I do think he'll catch about 15 or so less balls than Kamara will, assuming yeah. they both play the entire season. So that dings him a little bit for me. But the biggest reason is why he goes one spot lower for me is, I'm sorry, but I still kind of ding Zeke like one or two spots just because the dummy tax, for lack of a more eloquent way to put it. You know what I mean? Just sure. That yeah. level, he got into a fight with a bouncer like two weeks ago. I just, and he didn't get in trouble and it's fine. It seems like it's a dead issue. It's all been reported on and buried. It's, it's cool, but I don't want to deal with it. Just all the noise that comes with it. I just, I, for me, and I, it's not like, and by the way, it's not like I hate Zeke. Got kind of one spot lower. It's just, that's, that's why. Yep. And then that brings us to the guy that everybody else has number one and it's Saquon who we have down at four. The second-year player for the Giants, now kind of the last man standing in that offense for the weapons with the trade of Odell Beckham to the Browns in the offseason, which kind of rocked everybody's world. But Saquon last year, I mean, look, we have talked about it at length with each other here in this offseason. We'll talk about it at length on this podcast. Just the fact that when you look at it, it blew my mind to go through the numbers that 25% one quarter of his point production last season came on rushes of 40 or more yards. That's insane. Like it, it speaks to his big playability and we know what a talent he is and a freak of nature he is, but you cannot expect him to keep up that same pace, especially when there's no Odell Beckham on the outside, no offense to Golden Tate, Mr. America. And there's no way that with him being the focal point of the offense now, I just can't believe that he would be able to replicate those same big plays. It's just, it's not believable. It's not sustainable. Well, it's never sustainable. We, we know that from years of experience and that's, and that's kind of, 
a thing. You know what I mean? If you go back through all the top backs in the NFL, a lot of guys have done that, that mark. Maybe not necessarily as a, <laughs> uh, the way he did it necessarily, but there's other examples. And one of them is like CJ Spiller. <laughs> like none of it, none of that is repeatable necessarily. It's all right. kind of fluky. And to invest your entire draft, as we point out every year, you really can't win your fantasy league with your first pick, but you can absolutely lose. And it's something yep. that, that people should know that, yeah, a lot of what he did last year was due to the fact that there was no tape on him. So other than his college tape and he, he as, to your point, a lot of weapons on that field that are now elsewhere and they're not really backfilling with the same quality of what they were giving up. So, yeah. And along those same lines too, um, I saw a post the other day and I can't think of who it was. I wish I could give credit, for, but, uh, basically it was talking about scoring and how overall offensive team scoring can affect fantasy production, the correlation. And the fact that over the last seven seasons, there have been 42 top six running backs. That would obviously make sense, right? You know, seven times six. So there have been 42 top six running backs over the last seven seasons. Of them, only three were on bottom 10 scoring offenses. And that's going to be the Giants. Yeah. When you lose Odell Beckham, when you have the question marks at quarterback, when you're a more conservative offense, like it's going to be a rough year for the Giants this year. So for Saquon to try to overcome those odds and be running an uphill battle, not to mention the fact that he hit his peak last season just barely edging out Christian McCaffrey or just barely losing out to him, depending on your bonuses and scoring format for the number one overall spot and running back last season. And that's with the huge plays. That's with the giant rushes. That's I was looking at it. uh, The numbers I gave you, he had nine plays last year, either rushing or receiving to go beyond 40 yards and score or not. The next highest was four. Yeah. The league average was two. So to have him try to repeat what he did last year is completely unbelievable. And for these people thinking that somehow, oh, it's his second year in the system, he'll do even better is just ludicrous. It's uh, it's not a comprehensive understanding of how that would necessarily happen. You know what I mean? Because <clears throat> it's so hard to do it year over year. Just in general. And I believe off memory, this is off memory. I believe he had 11 rushing touchdowns last year, which like, that's insane. That's, that's ridiculous. Like that's not repeatable in and of itself. There's just a lot of markers on this that very clearly when you break it down using statistics can point out there is some significant risk to this. It is not as simple as just point and shoot. He's number one. Cause he was like, I will right. say Still got him four overall, and I got him catching 87 footballs with three with three receiving touchdowns. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So he's I mean, he's gonna get his. He don't hate just, him. There are three guys yeah. on the board that I'd rather have than Saquon. And exactly. I don't think that 
crazy. Exactly. I just wanted to point that out because I know that like sometimes people can hear this and be like, you hate Saquon Barkley. You're insane. And not the case. I think he's going to have a very nice season. It's just these people that are out here, and there are a lot of you, like, it's the second coming. He's guaranteed to improve on what he did last year. You have to take him if you have that opportunity. I disagree. And I know you do too. So that brings us to our first non-running back at number five overall. And that is my number one guy for two years in a row now, Mr. DeAndre Hopkins, the Duke. nuke bomb. Led the league last year far and away in red zone targets. So the question is, can he sustain those high volume of targets and does he even need to in order to be the top wide receiver off the board well i've got him as my number one receiver well slotted in at number five and i absolutely think that he can do i absolutely think he could repeat what he did last year and i don't even think he would necessarily have to repeat that but that being said i have him as once again focal point of the receiving core 105 receptions 1400 yards plus and 12 scores because Everybody who plays quarterback for the Texans, except for Brock Osweiler, figured this out. Hey, if I just throw him the football over and over, great things. If I just put it within five yards of him. He's got it. Look at his giant claw of a hand. Like, he's amazing. He's a freak of nature. And I absolutely think that he could do it again. And one of the biggest markers of that is he's done it several times. (laughs) This wouldn't even be like. The schedule doesn't even matter. The no. horrible offensive no. line doesn't nope. matter. The Actually, quarterback play hasn't mattered. Not really. Except for Brock. So, I mean, the lack of other weapons on the offense hasn't mattered. Nope. So, and it's the same team. It's going to be yeah. the same thing as last year. That's one of the reasons why I've got him that high is they're one of the few teams that didn't change a whole lot. It's going to be the same coaching staff, same players, more or less the same offense. They're going to add a new wrinkle or two like they always do, but... You're the biggest Texas fan, Texans fan I know. Who are you super excited about on that team that they added? I'll wait. That they added nobody. Returning, all returning, returning beyond guys. new Kiki. Yeah. Sure, Kiki. name for a different name for a different show. <laughs> name for Don, a different yeah, Don later Foreman. On. Always yeah, as sure. he has the been. Foreman. The Once Flash in the Pan. We'll see. Uh, will Fuller if he ever stays healthy, but he never will. That's very sad. Deshaun's, of course, my guy, but they got to get the line in front of him. Yeah, and so, somebody has to play tight end. Anybody. Somebody. Please. Someone just play tight end properly. The bi- the only issue with Hopkins is last year, which again says a lot about him, but last year he said he played basically the entire second half with a torn labrum in his shoulder. That he was playing hurt. Yeah. And he was still doing still. those freakish things of nature and going out and making spectacular plays and just tearing the league apart. So, I mean, if he can do that injured, imagine when he's, but at the same time, he was playing through injuries last year. Did that put him at a further risk to be injured this season? So that's, that's a risk that you have to, to understand going into it. Well, that is one of the, that is something also that has, uh, not really, you know, destroyed him and or messed up his career or anything you know what i mean but he has he has had some kind of lingering has been a injury things yeah. yeah it is it is a thing to be aware of so at number six then we have michael thomas we both agree michael thomas six overall and our number two wide receiver again the focal point of the offense with drew Brees throwing you the ball i mean it's not rocket science 
it, it's really that one was one of the easiest projections and rankings that we had to do and it was nice to get it out of the way early because i just you want to talk about things that are like repeatable versus not repeatable Mike, michael thomas being michael thomas and drew Brees throwing him the football again they didn't change anything really either it's it's right. not there's no dramatic shift so michael thomas is an excellent talent as we both agree so yeah i i have very little uh I gave him like two points from being a maximum confidence rating. That's how strongly I feel about that. One of the biggest hot button issues of the entire offseason has been the drama with Todd Gurley. He slots in for both of us at number seven overall, the five running back. So despite everything, we both still have him as a top five running back pick. I mean, look, the guy was the number one consensus back last season so it's hard to look at him and it's not like he's not talented it's just the what is this knee issue how much do you need to be concerned about it are they really going to limit his workload and try to ease it out of him or are they just gonna keep running him into the ground until he's hurt and can't play anymore unfortunately i think it's the latter so it really comes down to how much confidence do you have in his knee, which many people are saying with louder and louder that it's he's got an arthritic knee issue, and that is really bad. <laughs> That's like the biggest question for me is I, I think the the trepidation is obviously if you've got Todd Gurley, if he's playing a full four quarters, dominating. And then after six, seven, eight weeks of that, he's hurt and misses the rest of the season for you. Obviously, you don't want that to happen, and that would crush your fantasy team. But at the same time, if they're preserving him, and he's only basically playing two and a half quarters a week, giving you 55 to 60% of what he has been giving you the last couple of seasons, is that what you're wanting to get from your top five running back pick? I think that's kind of the the conundrum, yeah. right? Well, and under normal circumstances, I would be standing there saying, no, probably not. Unfortunately, if you're telling me that it's Todd Gurley playing two and a half right. quarters, it's, that's it's what is that? It's still, of Todd Gurley. still that's really good. Still like still incredibly field, high. Right? Yeah, because it, as we'll get into very clearly uh, later on in later shows, running back is hilarious. It's just like <clears throat> down 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 cliff just sheer cliff wall so if you're talking about like where he would still slot in the only reason that i had him at seven overall was because of this knee noise and things like that otherwise he'd be right back at the top of the rankings right you know what i mean like if you were going to get a full season of healthy todd Gurley, he would probably be the number one back in fantasy again and this is what dogged him down halfway down and i I'm nervous about it. I'm not going to lie. I gave him a low confidence score. That's how he ended up down here because there is this amount of risk. It's a, to my, to what I said earlier, we say every year, you can lose your fantasy draft. Well, that's one way to do it right there. You can, you could do it. It's, it is on the table. You could absolutely destroy it. The problem is the upside of Todd Gurley, even playing three quarters a game for 16 games. If he played at his normal efficiency, he's still like a top five back. <laughs> it's it's, right. it's that good. It's that good. And also 
The offense is going to be the same offense from last year. So you get all those markers as well. There's going to be continuity. So the other thing you have to factor in that we haven't touched on yet is, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, when we cover the Rams uh, in their breakdown, how effectively you feel you could identify who the backup would be. The person that you would want to pick up in on waivers or at the end of the draft. And that gets us into another receiver now. Antonio Brown, he was a top-tier, top-five at least, wide receiver for most of the last decade with the Pittsburgh Steelers. With him now in Oakland, the number one slot has now gone to Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a wide receiver two last year, playing second fiddle to Antonio Brown. And honestly, had they both stayed, I would have considered Juju over Antonio Brown, just the way they were being utilized the second half of the season, the connection he had with Roethlisberger, just his involvement in the offense overall. He slots in as my number three wide receiver, yours as well. Juju, I think he's got such such high potential. He's still so young, and he's shown such great flashes that it's hard to, to bet against him as much as I'm not a Roethlisberger guy. Just you can't argue with the results that you look at what Antonio Brown has been able to do there, and now Juju slides into that role, and he looks every bit the part to take over that, that position. No one was more shocked than me when that is where I had Juju ranked. And then when we pooled our notes and we had him ranked the same, because all offseason, you and I have been chatting back and forth about how you were saying, I'm going to have Juju super high. Like, I'm going to have Juju, like, really high in my ranks. It's, it's something that's probably going to happen just based on what you would kind of outline there. And that was that was very thorough. Like, that is that is the case for Juju. That's how, when I actually sat down and did the math, he ended up there. Because if you look at what that system has generated in terms of number one receiver, and Antonio Brown is most of that sample recently, obviously, but Juju isn't a worse player than Antonio Brown by every advanced metric that I can find, by the PFF grades, by everything. He is as good as. And it, it could be, you could make the argument, well, he was facing lesser attention, but I don't think that's the case. I think he is a legit one, and he's absolutely somebody that I would want to have uh, to build my team around. I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you, because I am not a Roethlisberger guy, and I was even going to have Antonio Brown pretty low because he's getting up there a little bit. So, shocking. But I love it. Yeah, it was one of my bigger struggles uh, this year. I believe I misspoke earlier and said I had him three. I, he's my number four wide out. Um, and he was the last guy I put into that wide receiver one tier. Like, I couldn't decide if I wanted him in that tier or not, but then I just looked at the numbers and I looked at his involvement on the team and then that, like I said, just his role and his play. And for me, uh, that that was enough to put him into that wide receiver one spot. The guy I have at number three is Devontae Adams. Because much like the Drew Brees theory, give me the guy that's getting the ball from Aaron Rodgers. I'm fine with that. And Devontae Adams showed once again last year that he's a freak of nature, just like any of these other guys that can go up there and get it if given the opportunity. That's actually who I was thinking I would end up, you know what I mean, when you go through it? It's who I figured would be my number three receiver. Because I was a big Devontae Adams believer last year, and I continue to be this year. He's my fourth receiver. 
absolutely. Give me the guy who's got Roethlisberger, or excuse me, Count Rogers, uh, throwing him the ball, healthy for a change. Well, for now. And uh, I just, there's still kind of these question marks around all the other Green Bay receivers, right? Like we don't know. Nobody else has really emerged. So I love for him to repeat it. And normally a guy who scored that many touchdowns last year, I believe it was 13. You normally wouldn't, you know, think that would be on the table. And I don't have him projected for that, but I haven't projected it 10 touchdowns. And I think that's very much in play because they go to him in the red zone so much. That's what really helps, helps keep him at the top echelon of, of wide receiver, his red zone target. Excellent. Another area we agree upon is wide receiver five, which is Julio 10 player putting out our top. And again, for me, it's never again with Julio. I've been burned one too many times. And when I put in the numbers and see the production and it says that he's going to have eight touchdowns, I just laugh and laugh and laugh. Yep. At the end of the day, he's still a fantastic player. He's going to put up the yards. He's going to get the receptions, which is why he's a PPR monster. It's just if you're playing standard or, or half point PPR, then Julio is probably a guy you have even lower on the list. Quite possibly. But yeah, he rounds out my top 10 and it's a little low by consensus if you go across industry experts, but I had to manually adjust his touchdowns down as well. It spits out like eight and change for me. and I knock it down to six because i'm like there's no way i'm gonna get eight touchdowns that's just not gonna happen like stop lying to me now that being said i do think he's got a shot at 1500 yards and anybody who's gonna catch that many balls 1500 yards top 10 guy in ppr next we have rb6 which is melvin this is a a, a it's kind of a microcop the entire running back area isn't it like if you're going strictly by projected points at least for me in my own numbers and just kind of glancing over yours it looks like yeah you're right around the exact same area as me you have those first four guys with McCaffrey Kamara Elliott Barkley who are all way up there on their own yep and then you've got Todd Gurley who kind of just floats in limbo off a big cliff from those first four. And then there's another huge drop from Todd Gurley to Melvin Gordon and everybody else in the next kind of grouping. It's almost like Todd Gurley is a tier all to himself. He, 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 he in many ways is. He in so, many ways could be. Yeah. So Melvin Gordon is kind of, uh, he's still in tier two because I wasn't going to have an entire Todd Gurley tier. No, I'm not doing um, that. I didn't, I, for the record, I didn't do that either. <laughs> but I see your point. You could make the argument that Todd Gurley could basically be his tier, tier two by himself. Melvin Gordon would then be the, the top of tier I don't, three. That's not tidy. That doesn't but, really work that way either. <laughs> again, um, Melvin Gordon, his involvement in the offense, the, the scariest thing with him is he has had some concerns over the years. And then Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler's the big-time pass catcher. He has vultured him on multiple occasions. They are both extremely useful on a week-to-week basis. So the Chargers have shown that the two-back set works for them. They will continue to utilize both of those players because why not take advantage of having that much talent? So Melvin Gordon is never going to have the entire job to himself, but with the volume and production he puts up, he doesn't need the whole job to himself. No, he doesn't. And also, I would prefer it if he actually didn't have the whole job to himself, because one of my strategies for this year actually is, if you are getting Melvin Gordon, you should get Austin Eckler and just go with that. 
And that's weird because normally we don't recommend, well, I shouldn't say don't recommend, but you don't even necessarily get into situations where both guys would be useful week in, week out. And if one guy got hurt, the other guy would assume the lion's share of it. So it would be a pretty lateral type of deal points wise. But that's the situation is how I have it for this year because they kind of case tested it last year and it worked. And it wasn't super clean because by the end, there was a lot of, you know, you're Justin Jackson running the ball and things like that. But that being said, all of that was useful. So I feel pretty confident that that's that Melvin Gordon will return uh, roughly the 270 points I have him projected for. And even if he doesn't, I'm going to make sure I get Eckler in any draft where I have Gordon. And I'm going to, if you got to overpay a little bit, I, I normally don't recommend that. But in this case, I probably would. Bit of a departure, but I, I feel pretty strongly about Melvin Gordon. Next, we have your wide receiver six, my wide receiver seven, and he comes in as our consensus number 12 player, Julian Edelman. The somebody has to fill the Gronk void yes. <laughs> scenario here. Yep. So, look, I mean, he's uh, he gets the volume anyway. He's normally a wide receiver, too. He's normally a top-end PPR guy who will give you the volume and the yardage and occasionally the touchdowns. But now, I mean, Tom Brady needs that safety blanket somewhere. And until someone else can step up, there's no more Chris Hogan. There's no more Rob Gronkowski. It's the Julian Edelman show there's from no here on There's no more Josh out. Gordon. There's Keel Harry and a bunch of guys. Philip Dorsett is back. That's how bad it is. Uh... So the Mary biggest thing Thomas when he's healthy, sure. Uh, the biggest thing for me was I actually went through and efforted it out. And it was in his last 16 games without Gronk, Julian Edelman had 113 receptions for 1,369 yards, three touchdowns. And I actually really think that's repeatable because it's, yep. it's just going to be how the offense works. And I actually think I gave him a little bit more meat on the bone for the, uh, on the three touchdowns, I think he could outpace that a little bit. I think he picks up some rushing yards uh, across the season a little bit. And I'm I'm very bullish on him this year, especially given that, uh, remember, part of what depressed his value a little bit last year was he actually missed a couple games uh, for suspension. So Correct. full 16 games this year as well. Yeah, me having him at 14 overall is high consensus. You love some Julian Edelman. Love it. And it's funny because this is why we always say, uh, you know, in fantasy football, you have to be agnostic and you have to take your own personal feelings out of it. And anybody who knows me knows I am not a Julian Edelman fan. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a fan. And uh, for me to have him that high, uh, you hold your nose and you do it. But I truly believe in that projection. At 13 overall, we both agree that running back seven is David Johnson. Two years ago, he was the consensus number one. Last year, he was coming off of that wrist surgery. And he just was not effective at all in that makeshift offense they had going on in Arizona. So now you got the air raid offense out there with uh, Klingsbury and Kyler Murray. And they're just going to, it's run and gun all day, right? It's just going to be the David Johnson show. I think if there's any steal you can get kind of in the, the later half of the first round, early second round, David Johnson has the potential to kind of end up as the number one overall guy. It would not stun me at all. Under Kingsbury, when he was at Texas Tech, would you like to take a quick guess at how what their percentage of pass plays uh, was? Uh, 70. You're actually a little high. 61 and a half. 
which is ridiculous. It's second most in FBS, and that's FBS. Uh, so if you break that out, under <laughs> under Kingsbury during his time at Texas Tech, running backs caught 363 passes, which was 10th most in the nation. And I got to believe that in order to make himself, you know, put himself in a winning position, that he's going to evaluate this and say, okay, I have David Johnson, a man who can just, who's great at catching. And also he's probably their best overall player at this point, given Larry Fitzgerald's, you know, age. So I just, I'm back on David, David Johnson again this year. I think he's going to, you know, it wasn't pretty last year, but look at it. It was a horrible offense executed poorly behind the worst O-line in football. And he was top 10 at running back. He was RB 10. So given some of the upgrades they've made and given the, especially the upgraded quarterback in the new system, I, I think he's back. I think we can go back. to David. Yeah. Because of how he struggled at the beginning of the season and chase Edmund carry line work from him at some point there, a lot of people want to just brush over the fact that he had a strong second half and finished the year overall as the top 10 running back. Like a lot of people look at David Johnson and say, wow, what a bust he was last season. He had such a bad year because he was a top three pick. Well, Le'Veon Bell was also a top three pick. Yeah. Like you could have, you could have tanked your season a lot more efficiently. Yeah. Like than David Johnson getting you RB 10. So then we move from David Johnson to probably the biggest story of the entire off. Odell Beckham. He is my number 12 overall player. Your number 16. Uh, You have him at wide receiver eight. I've got him at wide receiver six. And I bought, look, we talked at length and believe me, we will talk at nauseum again when we get there about the bake show all last year and how he was underrated. And I don't know why people were picking him up and he was I'm on having, waivers every single I'm week for some flashbacks reason. to writing the same waiver column that started the same way. <laughs> over yeah, over the, the PSA over to please go get Baker field. So I'm buying into the second year of the offense, I'm buying into Freddie kitchen. Do Odell Beckham paired with Jarvis Landry. I mean, say what you want about Mayfield, but having Jarvis Landry in the slot, having Callaway on the other side, having David Njoku at tight end, having Nick Chubb at running back, there is no question this is the best offensive unit Odell Beckham has ever been a part of. And he's been a consistent top five to top 10 wide receiver his entire career. So even if you're getting the same quarterback production from Baker Mayfield, which would be an insult to Baker Mayfield. Yeah. To compare Baker Mayfield's numbers to Eli Manning's numbers. Yeah. That's a huge slap in the face to Baker Mayfield. That's not even Even if you're getting the same quarterback production, the weapons around him are so much better that defenses can't just spend all day focusing on him, and it's going to open him up to be such a huge focal point of that team and just make so many plays for them that I, I think this is going to be a big year for Odell. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's not like I hate him. I have him projected to catch 90 balls for almost 1,300 yards and eight scores, and I think a lot of that, by the way, is going to be on deep targets because that's, that's what leads a lot. That's what bore out for me was if you link it up, Baker Mayfield – was like top three in the NFL. I believe he was actually number two in deep attempts. And I think he was number three in deep efficiency. And that's anything past 25. And Odell throughout his career, that's where he shines. That's where all his numbers, he's so much more efficient than anybody else, except for maybe, if you broke it down, maybe over his career, uh, uh, Deshaun could make, an, could, make a, 
could make an argument, but really that's what it is. So that was my, that was my takeaway from breaking down Odell. And that's actually kind of how I lowered him a little bit, had Edelman up. And speaking of over his career, which is a good point, uh, historically, remember Odell is a guy for we struggle, always comes out of the gate slow for some reason. And we've never been able to quantify why exactly that is. So I I wonder if the change in scenery will now uh, adjust that or if the fact that he has to adjust to a new team, new location is going to just play right into that. So the reports that we're always following that from New York where he just doesn't take the offseason all that seriously. And I would say that that might be accurate based on some of the reports I've been reading out of Cleveland where he pretty much blew off the entire offense. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe he just doesn't, you know, go full full bore in the offseason all the time. And because of that, he starts a little bit slow. But I don't I, I don't think it'll – it hasn't really mattered anyway except when he gets uh, – when he gets – Right. Up. Once he gets going, he's on fire. So there's no doubt about it. And following him, we have Keenan Allen. At 15 overall, Love. Keenan Allen coming in at number 17 for me, 14 for you. I've got him at wide receiver nine. You've got Keenan Allen at wide receiver seven. I, I, I'm a little lower on Keenan just because his age, he's starting to get up there a little bit. And then same thing with Rivers. They're focusing more on running the ball and defense. They're not putting up the huge aerial numbers that they have in the past. But again, still a top 10 guy. The production is there to warrant him being a uh, number one wide receiver on your roster. Yeah, and I'm I'm slightly more bullish on the Chargers, but that also speaks to your nice history. I am historically more bullish on the Chargers than well, but anyway. So uh, the uh, for me, it's it's just the repeatability of it. We've seen him have this season several times, and. Uh, I've got him at about 1,300 yards and just under seven scores. So I think that there's every chance that he can do that for you. And really, the for me, the only issue with Keenan Allen that ever really dings him is the same one that always does, which is can he play 16? We follow that at number 16 with Mike Evans. And off the best season statistically of his entire career, Jameis, I mean, looked like hot garbage last year. Had the Ryan Fitzmagic scenario working in a occasionally to help that out and then that whole thing happened with Dirk Cutter then getting fired in the offseason and then bringing Bruce Arians in and now everyone wants to talk about the Bruce Arians offense and how that's going to affect it the the fact of the matter is at the end of the day Mike Evans is the number one receiver Deshaun Jackson is now gone Adam Humphreys is now the only proven commodity at wide receiver is Mike Evans he is the 100% focal point of that offense. And uh, we have seen in the past that given the opportunity, as long as, again, he can stay on the field, Mike Evans has the potential to be a top 10 guy. He's a 40 in PPR waiting to have every week. Whether or not he gets it for you is a totally different thing. <laughs> but but it's, it's always there for you. And frankly, I would have him higher if uh, some of the other things that you hadn't mentioned weren't in play so new system but you gotta love it at least on paper arians likes to huck it so that's you know that plays to his advantage and also one thing you didn't touch on and this is where we can leave it what running game are they going to have none is my thought again they're not gonna be able to run the ball so it leads me to believe if you plopped him down on green bay if you put him in orleans atlanta he's a top five wideout 
No question. Yeah, no question. Every but year because he's, he's playing with Jameis, it's top ten is still good. It's just not where it could potentially be with what his skill set and talent is. Yeah, and then the inconsistency and the small, well, not small, but moderate risk of injury follows him around. That brings us then to my number nineteen over player. Your number fifteen. Our consensus seventeen is tight end Travis Kelsey. If you project out the numbers. Travis Kelsey would actually rank as wide receiver five. I mean, he would be a top five wide receiver candidate based on points, but he plays tight end. So (laughs) when you're reaching this high for a tight end, this is the Gronk theory where you're getting a player who is you're basically drafting a top five wide out. He just happens to play a position that isn't wide receiver. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, some of this has to do with how you project out Tyreek Hill because there's so much murkiness around all of that. And so it's, you're going to see a lot of, you know, wonky Travis Kelsey rankings, frankly, because I know there are some websites and some institutions that aren't even doing Tyreek Hill rankings yet until somebody actually can say whether or not how many games he's going to play, what's actually going to happen. But uh, for me, I've got him at 15. It's the, for a 12 team league. It's right at the top of the second round. Cause I think that's a, I think that's where he's going to finish. And also, not for nothing, but that's realistically where you're going to have to go to get him. That's There's always going to be that guy who plays with the Gronk theory and tries to build that team. Because as you pointed out, he'd be rated as wide receiver five if he played wide receiver. So the, the only issue for me is the Tyree kill thing. And then do you worry about injury with Travis Kelsey, really? No, he's not Gronk. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge thing with Gronk was how many games would he miss every yeah. And so for me, that's like, I don't have that same concern. I do as a function of the position, but not him. And that's the, yeah. and that's the difference. So he's played banged up before, but he will play banged really up. But him. I think, I think he's, he's going to be spectacular again this year. So our 18 overall player is Le'Veon Bell. I've got him at 16. You've got him at 18 overall. Both of us with him at RB8. We're splitting hairs there, but going to the Jets, playing behind Sam Darnold now, look, he needs a check down. He needs a safety blanket in that offense, and Le'Veon is going to catch a lot of balls, and I think he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game. And to, to be fair, I only have him at 65 receptions. And if he can get to where he normally is in the high 70s to mid 80s, he could end up being a top five running back this year. But if I'm playing on, you know, what do I think is most likely to happen with that offense and how they're going to play? I feel like he's going to be too low uh, on the list. Like we were talking about with Saquon in the bottom half uh, scoring offense that it's just too much of an uphill battle for him to try to climb. I'm now going to do a brand new segment live for the first time ever on the important nonsense. It's called reading. In five of the six years, Adam Gase has been an NFL head coach or offensive coordinator. His teams have been 21st or worse in terms of RB receptions. The one year his offense was better than 20th in this category was 2013 in Denver when Peyton Manning threw 55 touchdown passes. Even that season, (laughs) Denver RBs were just 19th in target share. In 2015, under Gase, Matt Forte averaged just 3.4 catches per game. In the two seasons prior to Gase showing up, Forte averaged 5.5 catches per game. 
During Gase's three seasons in Miami, the Dolphins rank dead last in offensive snaps per game. In Le'Veon Bell's two best fantasy seasons, total points, the Steelers ranked in the top 10 in offensive snaps per game. The only time Le'Veon Bell has played in all 16 games in a season was in 2014, and I credit ESPN stats and information. And <laughs> here's, here's what I can tell you. I got, I got Le'Veon Bell catching 55 balls, and I have him with a really low confidence rating. This is one of those ones where this is where he projects at. This is where he lands. This is what I feel like you'd have to pay to get him. And it's where I feel like he'll probably end. But I got to tell you, I got him at 55 balls. Gase is now the Gase of the franchise, considering that all the other debacles with the Jets, where he gets to now be coach and GM functionally. So we've seen Gase have issues with running backs. We've seen Gase have issues with people who won't program up with his system, his way. And given all of those red flags and all of those markers, I think the Jets are still so devoid of talent and so bad that they're going to give the ball to Le'Veon Bell 250 times rushing and he's going to end up with 1,000 yards. And at the end of the day, it's going to be ugly, and there's going to be some pain and some gritty fighting, I feel like, and that's not going to be a happy marriage, but I think that's what you can get at the end of the year. So that's my PSA on Le'Veon Bell. We'll <laughs> touch on it again when we get to the Jets. Boy, there, there is some risk on that one, but if you want to play in the Le'Veon Bell game, that's what you're going to have to pay. And I feel like it's probably worth it. But don't say that nobody tried to warn you about all the warts and red flags that occupy this space. There's a lot. A lot of noise. Both of our number 10 wide receivers is T.Y. Hilton. We agree that with uh, Andrew Luck back healthy and the Colts offense firing all cylinders, that T.Y. is once again a top 10 guy to have on your roster. He's the big playmaker for that Colts offense, and I think he's going to have another good season this year. I mean, healthy Andrew Luck, right? A rising tide lifts all yeah, boats. That's been the key. Yeah, That's what it is. Andrew Luck coming back healthy, looking to build off of an excellent season last year, and I think he can do it. I actually have Andrew Luck rated really high. So we'll get into that when we cover the Colts. But uh, yeah, love me some Andrew Luck, and as a result, really love me some T.Y. Hilton. Only real negative for me on T.Y., is the same thing as a lot of these guys when you get down to this area. Can he play 16 games? And that brings us to our final guy in our top 20, 20 overall. Our agreement, once again, RB9 is Joe Mixon. The Bengals are going to have to produce something on offense somewhere. And I'm sorry, it's not Andy Dalton, and it's, it's not A.J. Green. I can't believe that A.J. Green can stay healthy enough to stay on the field to, to be a top 20 productive player anymore i just don't buy that i i can't and to have andy dalton throwing him passes look we talked about mike evans if you dropped him in to to one of these other offenses he'd be a top five guy if you were to take aj green and drop him into one of those offenses would you have the confidence to even make him a top 10 wide receiver maybe top 10 it depends on where exactly but that to your point, it doesn't solve the issue of can he actually play? Can he play and not games? get hurt? Can he play more and than ten games on the field? That's what I think about with AJ Green, that's that's kind of sad. That that's the point that we've arrived at. Right. Can he get? Can he actually get you? I mean, it actually feeds into my Tyler Boyd ranking, which we'll get into later, because you know you always do projections with everybody doing sixteen games, right? Mm. But uh, 
then the confidence modifiers come in. <laughs> One guy's confidence modifier is really bad. <laughs> but yeah, I love me some Joe Mixon. Uh, he's he's the future of the Bengals to the extent that yep. the Bengals have a future. So Joe Mixon, again, to, to your point, just super talented kid. He's young, focal point of that offense. Last season, he showed he could handle the load. And he's, I mean, he was a top-end RB2. At this ranking, we have him at RB9. So he's in the RB10 range. I think that's more a, a result of the position. It's more of what running back has kind of become at this point as opposed to how spectacular he is or isn't. He's a great player and a great talent, but I don't know if, you know, like Joe Mixon alone, as we talked about with Le'Veon Bell, if he can get, like I said, the receptions to be a big part of the receiving game, he could be a top five guy. If David Johnson's utilized the way we think he might be, he could end up as the number one overall guy. I can't say that about Joe Mixon. Yeah. It goes back to what we talked about with the bottom 10 offenses is that for him to climb into the top six is going to be a real uphill battle for him because he, the Bengals as a whole aren't good. He would need to blow out the touchdown projection. It's the only way. And in order to do that, he would need to be hauling off like 40 yard runs, Saquon style. And that's not really Joe Mixon's bailiwick. It's not really how he plays the game. He's more right. inclined to knock you down than he is to go around you. And uh, yeah, right now, I love I've that been, about him. I love that about him. His yards per attempt and his yards Attack are great. That's how he gets here. It's just to your point. Can the Bengals move the ball? Yeah, I've got him at 240 points, and that's a clean 20 points behind Le'Veon Bell. Now that's with only 47 catches for 335 yards. Like if he becomes a more focal point in the passing game, and Giovanni Bernard kind of just disappears off into the sunset then sure, Joe Mixon could move up the ranks a little bit here. But until that happens, if he's just going to be carrying the ball, it's going to be real difficult for him to try to, to climb up into a top five position at running back. Yeah. That being said, if I was ranking him for standard, he'd be high. I just had sure, that thought. Absolutely. Sorry. I just had that yeah. thought. No, no, uh, you're not I'm looking at this again and I was doing it for standard, he'd be higher. So if you're playing standard, Joe Mixon, all day. I mean, I wish he played on a better team. If we do that same game where we put him on a different team. <laughs> yeah. Like with a good O-line. Yeah, Giovanni Bernard doesn't take away as many rushes as Austin Eckler does from Melvin. No, no, because Giovanni and Bernard is he doesn't rely on the passing game like David Johnson does. Right. And he is a younger back who is in an offense that is going to be more willing to feature him, uh, unlike Le'Veon Bell. Like, th- you can make the argument for him in standard to, to be bumped up ahead of these guys. I mean, even Todd Gurley, who we have at five, is Todd freaking Gurley. But, you know, Joe Mixon doesn't have the huge question mark around his knees. Like, he's, yep. he's healthy, he's younger, he's f- a focal point without the question mark and the headache. And the Bengals aren't thinking about preserving Joe Mixon for a playoff run. No, no, so, they're not. And even to that point, there's not even Mark Walton anymore who could even even try and vulture. He got shipped off to Miami for off-field right. reasons. So you end up with a guy who more or less has the entirety of the rushing game himself. 
and the Bengals are projected to not be good again. So it's just the only question what would really, I think, help break Joe Mixon out is if the Bengals could find, in all seriousness, some other way to move the ball. Yep. Because, but if you go back through it, it's like Tyler Eifert again. It just, it isn't progressing, let's say. There's no real growth going on there. It's kind of the same team. Kind right. of the same playbook. It's going to be, I think, very much the same results. So there you go. That's our top 20 overall kicking off the season. Uh, we will go through every team like we did last year, division by division. First couple of shows here, we're going to do a uh, a double down, basically. Two for the price of one, if you will, to, uh, to get two divisions in next week. Uh, take a break the following week, but then be back on the 31st with another two divisions to, uh, to break it down. So we're getting into it, Neil. It's getting, getting to be football season. We're ready to go. For all intents and purposes, we're off and running. Well, training camp is in like seven days. So uh, for, I believe, the early teams, I think that, that's what they're reporting out here for the Broncos because they're playing. We're getting rolling here. It's happening. Honestly, I could not be more excited. It's finally time. Finally, because baseball's not doing it this year, Steve. Not, <laughs> not doing it. Uh, no, there you go. So we'll be back next week with two divisions to break down. Hopefully, some uh, to break to you guys. And uh, yeah, until then, just keep up the nonsense. Have a week. Music for the important nonsense podcast is provided by Lee Rosevear, Lame Genie, and Tri Tachyon. Thank you for listening and be sure to keep up with the latest content on importantnonsense.com.